Doing my daily dog walking today on the shores of beautiful Lake Omara. Jason joined me for the walk today. Oh, I needed the break. Yeah, you seem like a little on edge today. Uh, yeah. Everything okay? I, uh, I don't know. Everything, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, but is everything okay with the family? I was working on this automation, and you know how you're like, oh, this will only take 20 minutes. Yeah, like two hours later. I stayed up all night. Holy. Can we stop at this beans and more? You need some coffee, don't you? I am dragging. Can I just get a large iced coffee? Wow, they've got power tools here? It's weird, right? This is great. Today we're looking at make. You mean Integramat. I mean make. Integramat. Would you stop it? Go over there. Just go over there for now, I'm recording a thing. Somehow you keep managing to get into these intros. He's giving me the puppy dog eyes now. Integramat. If Zapier's the gateway drug that gets you started on automation, make is what puts you into rehab. I'm not sure we can use that one. If Zapier's what got you into automation, Make may be another tool worth having in your tool belt. That's better. So let's get into it. Who is Make for? When do I use it versus Zapier? And we'll never call it Integramat again. No. On this week's Automation Town. No. So we've all been here, stuck on an automation longer than we'd like to admit, right, Jason? Um, earlier, what were you getting hung up on? Well, I thought it was going to be simple. And then I got a bunch of other ideas as I was doing it. It kept getting more complex, more conditional logic. I was using Zapier paths, but it ended up needing like several nested layers deep of branching logic. Like if this happens, go down this path. If this other thing happens, go down another path. Yeah, I like make for those types of automations. So a lot of our listeners are Zapier users. And I know you and I are both Zapier and Make users. I think it's worth talking through our decision-making processes for which API connector tool you use. So. I think the big ones right now are Zapier, Make, and probably N8N. So right now for you, in what situations do you use each of those? I know you're a start first Zapier guy. And I think what happens is you start using the tool you like more. So for me, I learned on Zapier. And that's where I started figuring out maybe where I got stuck a little bit quicker. And I started investigating alternatives. And admittedly, was not smart enough to figure out the really complex stuff. Uh, even N8N can get quite complex sometimes. Just for some reason, I gravitated towards Make because of the canvas. So the order that I go in now, which uh, a couple of years in, is I'll start with Make. I'll see if I can map out the flow that I'd like. And then what I find is that if I can't figure out how to do something, or there's a missing component inside of Make, I'll look to other tools and I might actually use that other tool in the Make automation. So we can get through that later. But the decision-making process for me has always been Make first. Um, how about you? So I guess some context helps. Most of the time when I'm automating something, it's in my business and I'm pulling other people in to help with those automations. Make is super powerful, but I think it's a little higher bar to get your head around. So what I will generally do is 
basically start with what is the most simple tool, the most simple version of this automation that I can build. And so for me, that usually means starting with Zapier. I think Zapier is the most accessible API connector. I start there. If I run into issues, sometimes the connectors will be a little bit different, support different things. Sometimes it gets really hairy. If something gets really, really long and hairy, oftentimes I'll go to, what a disgusting way to describe that. I'll usually go to make. But to your point, like oftentimes it's kind of just like, what's the tool you're most comfortable with? Even if sometimes it's not the perfect tool, there's something to be said for that tool that you have a mastery in and just making it do what you need it to do. I suffer from severe imposter syndrome when I'm sitting around people that have been doing this for five, 10, 15, 20 years, and they just, they know all the tools. They're into the really, really techie things. But then I just remember like solving my own problems here. Like I'm having some fun. I think that's what it's really all about. Everybody's on their own journey and people learn at different speeds. So for me, I chose the, I'm actually not going to think about automations for years, right? I think people in our space were doing that for a little while before at least I ever thought about using it with any sense of purpose. And then when you start getting into some problems that no one else around you is helping with, you then are almost forced to figure it out either yourself or to ask for help. And like different personalities approach things differently. So for me, it was, okay, I'll figure this out and maybe pay some other people along the way to learn how to do this thing. Your solution was, I want to go talk to a computer to solve this problem instead of a person. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll talk through a computer, yeah, uh, at a person over Upwork or Fiverr to augment those skills. But like kudos to people that are putting out YouTube content, putting on tutorials, like just helping other people as much as they can. That's what gave me hope for learning Make, because it can be a pretty big lift the first time you open it up. So let's zoom out like 10,000 foot view. What is Make? Used to be Integra, Matt. Can we just commit here to just never calling it Integromat again and just calling it Meg going forward? Yeah, it's it's a stretch, right? It's like when you grow up with something your whole life, then it changes names. There's a ballpark in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Apparently now it's called the Rogers Center. But for everybody that grew up in my decade, it was called the Skydome. So this is like our Skydome moment of technology. Uh, so yeah, we can call it Meg going forward, but there is that little itch that makes you still want to call it Integromat. So Integramat versus Zapier. I think there's a lot more Zapier users out there than Make users. I would honestly, there's one thing I sh would stress. It's that I don't think it's an either or proposition. I know we both use both. The value that I'm getting from API connectors right now is so above and beyond what we're having to pay for these tools. And part of that scares me. I think it's just a matter of time before they're going to be like five times expensive as they are now when it becomes more mainstream and people catch on, but I am happily carrying subscriptions for each of them. So to go even higher 20,000 foot view. So these are both API connectors. The function of these tools is if you have an app, you can build an integration with Zapier or with make and then let users through like a visual drag and drop interface connect my Dropbox to any other of the thousand apps that are connected here. And so it's kind of like this bridge integrator that makes more things possible rather than Dropbox having to build integrations with thousands of apps. They build one integration with Zapier or with Make, and then they can let us build our own little connections between those apps. So that's API connectors. Yeah, I mean, if we started where our problems were, it was that we couldn't move data from one thing to another. And you start Googling how to do it. Back in the day, it was spreadsheets, importing and exporting. Then it became... FTP. I put it into this FTP folder and yeah. we'll scoop it up every once in a while and then put it into the system. Oh boy. And then 
it was for techies for the longest time. Okay, techies know APIs. Those are developers. Maybe they can hack something together for me. And if we have hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's accessible. Then these things come along and just make everybody's day. Yeah. And depending on how you look at it, this could be incredibly dangerous or incredibly useful. I think we have to take this almost sense of responsibility that when you do connect certain tools up to Zapier and make and N8N, there is a possibility of deleting a lot of stuff you don't want to delete or adding a bunch of stuff you don't want to add. There is a bit of cautiousness that people have to use when they're connecting these things up for the first time. That is Chad's personal experience coming through. <laughs> We've all been there. Come on, tell me a time when you ran too many operations on something or deleted too many things. It's never once. Never once, that's right. So that's API connectors. And there's a bunch of tools in this space and honestly like new tools every single week that are coming out saying they do the same thing, either at a different price point or with a different spin where maybe they pair you with a developer from day one or there's a whole bunch of versions of API connectors zapier and make right now i think at least where we are in the north american market are the biggest ones out there the biggest difference with make to zapier is make is fundamentally like a canvas based workflow builder think like flowchart kind of thing right yeah even like an org chart or a flowchart like a lucid chart yeah so it's like a flowchart builder that goes from left to right. On the left-hand side is your trigger, and it could be a single linear path that just goes down, you know, maybe your trigger is a file's uploaded to Dropbox, and then you've got a node that is email this file to something else. So that would be a Gmail node, and then a node that's delete this file because I don't need it anymore from Dropbox. And so then you've got a Dropbox node, a Gmail node, a Dropbox node. Could be super simple and linear like that. Or it could say, we're gonna add a router, I think they call it, that says, well, if this is a PDF file type, we're gonna go down this path. If it's a PNG file type, we're gonna go down this other path. It really nicely handles that kind of branching logic. Zapier, on the other hand, was designed kind of from the beginning to be a linear workflow builder, but has since added their version of that called paths. And so with paths, you can set up conditions where it goes down certain paths, but it's still in a kind of top to bottom linear builder. And so that's where make probably lends itself better to the jimungus branching things with a whole bunch of nodes. Like I've seen some Integromat scenarios with like hundreds of nodes. Too many that just blow your mind. We all have those and then we look back and we remember, oh yeah, that's when I didn't understand that one function. <laughs> you made it way harder than it needed to be. <laughs> I'm gonna make 19 different branches of this thing that could have just been a switch. But I think it's also an illustration of the very best aspect of make. Right. It's very clear to understand because it's all mapped out visually. So like you've got a lot of people that say, anytime you're gonna automate something like this, start with diagramming it out. Start by making a flowchart. Do you do that before you automate anything? No, I should. Yeah. Jump in there and start building. <laughs> I think that's what I like about make the most is that you can jump in, start throwing nodes around and be like, oh, actually, yeah. I can't send this invoice until I search for the client ID. Oh, okay, so I need to search. Let me just insert this in here. And for the longest time with Zapier, it was hard to copy and move around the steps if you made a mistake. You might have to insert it and duplicate. It was just, it wasn't as clean as saying, oh, you know what? I'm just gonna unlink this here and move it around these six steps and put it right where you need it. When it starts to take shape, you're like, okay, I got it. There's actually nothing more satisfying than running it for the first time when you think you're smart. It breaks. And you're like, okay, where did it break? And then you find it where it broke and you're like, oh yeah, I have to build out for these types of things. 
And that type of freedom and flexibility of building out on a canvas is half the reason why I start with Make so that I can plan this out. And there is no shame in using Make for what it can do out of the box. And you don't have to be super techy and make these crazy API calls. If you know how to talk between Make and Zapier, that's a pretty cool skill to have if you know that Zapier can do a thing and make can do a thing, and you kind of bounce back and forth between each other. Now, ideally you don't do that, obviously, but when you're desperate and you don't have somebody way smarter to show you how to do something, that's when having skill sets in different areas starts to pan out for the better. You're talking about using make scenarios to call apps? Yeah. <laughs> Let's circle back to that at the end. In classic Chad Davis form, you're jumping to like level 1000. I've talked with people who have used both and they're like, Zapier's my thing, just works better for my brain. You're on the other side of that, I think. You've used both and it's like make just works better for your brain. Mm -hmm. I would say if you've had much experience, I think Zapier is the jumping off point for most people. But if you've done much of that, it's worth giving make a try. See if you like one or the other. Maybe you end up like me and you actually use them both. But they're different ways to more or less get to the same place. Anything else you would add to the like which tool the difference is before we just talk about all things make? Nope. This is one of these things where like, we're talking about two very technical things on a podcast. There's no substitute to opening up a trial, connecting your first couple apps, pressing the button, and seeing it work. I almost feel like there should be a crash course in how not to break something. So if you do learn one or two things for Zapier or for Integromat, I guess my tip would be learn about setting limits on the things that you're doing work for, that you're calling. So if you can set a limit to run only one thing, do that instead of running 10 or 100, which might be the default inside of Make and some of those modules that you're using. Nothing worse than opening up a trial, creating it, running it, and then all of the operations are done in like the second time you've done it. And then all of a sudden you have to pay for it. These have been tales of Chad's automation fast. <laughs> so, Make rebranded recently from Integramat. I always thought that Integramat was super, super low key and awesome tool and you never saw enough of it. I'm seeing a lot more of Make now. They've invested a bunch in the website and more community building stuff and marketing, which I love to see because I think it needs to be more out there. Get started, like you said, totally for free. A thousand operations. Like it's actually a pretty darn generous free tier. Yep. But even up from there, going from a thousand to 10,000 operations is only nine bucks a month. An operation in Integromat generally is just going to be one of those nodes. So in the example before, if you go Dropbox, Gmail, Dropbox, that's three nodes. So we talked about kind of the canvas layout of make. Let's talk about some of those like flow controls, which I think are one of the things that really are cool about make like your aggregator stuff like that, where you can control kind of how it goes down that path. It's simultaneously probably the hardest thing about it and where people get stuck, but also the most powerful thing. I'll tell you, Jason stats, the router, is quite possibly the coolest element of make when you first start. Do this or do that, or if none of those things fit, fall back and let all of the other things go do this one thing. So make has a ton of out of the box utilities, just like Zapier does. Mm -hmm. But once you read the help, watch a couple YouTube videos on it, you're like, oh, I get it. And I think what makes make really strong is that they have these tools called flow controls, like you said. And do you remember the first time you got an iterator to work? It was a big day because a lot of days had passed from when I started That's trying. Right. I had to hire somebody <laughs> off Upwork. Oh, wow. And they were in Australia 
And he walked me through how iterators work to be able to deal with line items on invoices. Oh, cool. I was just completely lost. And I was still lost after he taught me. But it was cool to have stuff to study. I was about to say what a great example of where you pull an expert in to help, but you took the steam right out of that. Yeah. Um, But these flow controls are great. You've got this idea that for each thing, for each record, for each item in whatever is pulled down in these modules, you can go do a bunch of things. So imagine you make a call into your email and the email has... 10 attachments. Some might have zero and some might have five attachments. You can throw this iterator on and no matter how many attachments exist, it will go through each one of those attachments. What do you want to do with it? You could zip them up. Make has a utility called archive that you could zip things up. You could combine them into a PDF using our favorite pdf.co or select PDF or anything like that. You could throw them individually into Dropbox. could do whatever you need to do. That iterator is like a superpower that... Quite honestly, I didn't put enough effort into Zapier to figure out how to do that. And I think that's what kind of drove me to make, is that I was running into some of these things with custom code and things like that inside of Zapier a couple of years ago. And that might have been the precipice to like move it into Make. What other things do you use in Make that help? So Make's got some more inline controls where you can do some really basic formatting of numbers and formatting of text and that sort of thing. So for example, I know like a little bit of code. So like when you're working with strings, let's say you're gonna combine first name, last name, and you wanna split it on the space or something like that. Rather than having to run it through a dedicated node that is like change the string to this or that, there's some inline controls you can do and make. If you're gonna use say just the first name, maybe the previous step gave you the first name and the last name, you just want the first name. On that subsequent step, if we're gonna put that name into Airtable, where you pull the variable in to put it into Airtable, literally right around that in the field, you can wrap a little function that like splits it on spaces and just takes the first one or something like that. So I think it tidies up the automation because it doesn't necessarily require a whole bunch of steps to do some of those little more fiddly things. Formatting numbers has always been a headache for me in doing these things when you're taking a number from one place to another, and it seems to handle that stuff well. The functions they will let you use, there are helpful little pop-ups and that sort of thing, but even if you don't understand it, they're common functions where you can go out and Google how that thing works. So if I want to force it to be a number or an integer versus some other data type, something like that, it's relatively easy to figure that stuff out. So that's handy for keeping that stuff tidy. Do you ever build something that just breaks all the time? Almost every time, yes. <laughs> Almost every time. So the one thing that I do like about Make is that you can build your own directives for error handling. Oh, yeah. It gets kind of techy, but once you spend, I don't know, half an hour just trying to figure out what it all means, you can essentially keep going inside of your automation if something breaks. So if something's in the wrong format, maybe just log it, skip it, and then keep going with the automation. Whereas if something like that happens in Zapier, the automation stops. You can replay it later, but it stops. So imagine the business critical things that have to work for companies that are running things every minute, every two minutes, every five minutes. Those error handlers could be the difference between getting a payment or reply to an email or a confirmation in an email if you sign up for something online. It could really affect the customer experience. So there are some pretty cool things that are kind of caked right into the make tools right from the very beginning. Yeah, a big one we didn't talk about is uh, the built-in data store. So 
you can oftentimes when you're building an automation you need a place to be able to park a set of data so that you can get to it later maybe get to it in a later automation or even something simple like a list of people or something like that i think oftentimes what we do is we'll spin up a little air table base and store that stuff in there <laughs> yep but something i encounter quite a bit as we work with clients is the client doesn't have Airtable, and I'm not going to set up an Airtable account just to go store this little thing, and oftentimes it's just temporary. So Make actually has its own little built-in database system and different nodes you can use to add things to the database, modify things, pull things out. So all within that system, you can even do a little bit of data management. My favorite tip on data stores and data structures is if you need to hold data just for that operation, you can clear out the database right at the very beginning of it, let it run its thing, and then either at the very end, delete it all again, or just let the beginning of the next one clear it all out again. Oh, wow. So it almost acts as your own personal database to carry data all the way through if for some reason there's just multiple routes or there's you know things that happened earlier in the operation that you need. One of my favorite things about data stores is that you also could delete the data before you start the operation, let it do its thing. And then when it starts up again, you're starting with this, like a fresh database. So anytime you need to hold stuff, you absolutely could just for that one cycle and then move on. We got to head over to the Grum Grum here soon. So let's bring this home. Cruising through pricing here real quick. Like we talked about, everything's based on operations. So thousand operations at $0 a month, 10,000 at nine a month. 20,016 a month. You get a whole lot of operations for not that much money. It is simultaneously a really good thing and something that can get you in trouble, like you alluded to with your various foibles in the past. Especially if you're pulling in like team members to help with this stuff, oftentimes they're not thinking about being efficient with operations. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny we say this, like these operations are fractions of a fraction of a penny. But one of the great things about Make is that even on a free account, you can have an unlimited number of users. So I'm usually pulling other people in to help with these automations. Mm -hmm. But if they're new, they do need a little oversight because simply being efficient with those operations is a skill in and of itself. And for itty bitty stuff or stuff that only runs when it's triggered, not that big deal. For your bigger stuff that's going to consume a lot of operations, you got to watch out for that. What do you find when you compare Zapier pricing to Integramat pricing on average? Which one tends to be more expensive or which one tends to be cheaper? Probably depends on how you use it. Uh, I think historically Make's been a little cheaper. I think Zapier has also kind of packaged itself differently when it comes to teams. So Zapier gives you a little more flexibility in how different team members can organize their automations, whereas Make just says everybody's kind of all living in the one shared space and you can have as many users as you want. So philosophically, the approaches are a little bit different there. I will say something that's been handy for me just in the nature of what I do where we set this stuff up for clients is Make has a super generous free tier. And anytime you're setting up automations for someone else, you need to be thinking about where those connections live that you set up. So for example, if I work with five clients, I'm connected to all their Gmail accounts. Do I want all those Gmail connections to live within a single sandbox? Probably not, because then if somebody comes in later and sets it up and you accidentally use the wrong account, that's problematic. So a really nice thing about Make is it's literally free. Say you're going to set up a single little simple automation for somebody. It's free to set up their own little make sandbox where just that client's connections, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff spilling over and you can get an unlimited number of users in there. So that's an area where we've had good success with make when we just need to spin up something simple for a client. Well said. 
Let's head over to the Grum Grum. Grum Grum. Okay, guys, we're live in 10. You're not going to do the catchphrase thing again, are you? You're going to love this one. Welcome in to Automation Show on 104.3 The Buzz. We're your one call away from Automation Bliss. The phone lines are open. We'll be here until 9 o'clock, taking your automation questions live. Let's share some bliss. Okay, who have we got? Tom, you are live on Automation Show today. How are you doing, Tom? Hey, hello. Tom, you're live. Oh, my gosh. I'm so nervous. Such a big fan. <laughs> so we started having intimacy issues about six months ago. Uh, the magic just wasn't happening. I can stop like you right there, Tom. To. This is Automation Show. Did you mean to call in a copulation show? Uh, is this not Clark? Sorry about that. So that's the show right before us. This actually happens quite a bit, but usually Paul screens them out. Come on, Paul. Sorry, guys. That one got through. Okay. Who else we got? Uh, Charlene, you're live on Automation Show. Hi, guys. Charlene, what intimacy problems are you having today? Um, what? Oh, my gosh. There is a scene with the last guy. I'm Chad. sorry. It's me, Charlene. You walk my dogs. Oh, Charlene. It's great to hear from you again, Charlene. What's your question? So as you know, I'm a realtor. If you want to move into a new thing... Be sure to call call Charlene. Charlene. That's right. I wanted to ask a more general question about CRMs. I make a bunch of connections with people. I want them to be thinking of me. And I know there are a host of automations around marketing and CRM tools that I should be considering. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Great question, Charlene. Thanks for calling in. Boy, that was uncomfortable for a minute there. I'm uncomfortable. Okay, so CRM stuff. Do you use CRMs, Chad? Horribly. How about you? You know what I usually do is I usually hack together some really ugly combination of Airtable and all these other things, and I'm like, I'll make my own CRM. (laughs) And then sometimes I look at like the hub spots of the world out there, and I'm like, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense to have all that in one place. Uh huh. Let's throw up a Salesforce uh, instance and spend 200 grand on keeping track of our customers. Nope. So we know how you say about Salesforce. That's too bad because they're just about to advertise with us. Right. So. Uh, what are the things you can do with a CRM that will kind of, I guess through Charlene's context, it's like you want to be front of mind with people. You want to always be thinking of you so that the moment they're going to sell that thing, they first come to Charlene. Yeah. And it depends on what you want to do with it too. I think good data in, good data out, bad data in, bad data out. It's that age old problem of how much effort are you going to put into a thing in order to make it work well for you. And if you've got this like automation mind and you're like, okay, it's really important for me to get this out with the right addresses. You might put a little bit of effort into getting the addresses during the year so that this actually works. Same with email addresses. You're gonna get the right one. You're gonna ask for it at the right time. You're gonna gather it during the right time of the relationship so that you're actually using the right one. Of course you are, if you know that that's what the end goal is. So. All of the CRMs that I've personally used, I don't think we've put that much effort into, okay, what do we really want to use this thing for? And how much effort are we going to put in all the way through the year to make this thing work? Admittedly, it's a hodgepodge. Some things are complete. Some things are grossly incomplete. Sometimes you just don't know if you're working with the right data. So I would hope that Charlene, if she knows that this is for mailers and it's for emails, that those are the things that she's focusing on. And if something else important that pops up comes into her life, she can put that into the CRM and start tracking it accurately. Yeah, what CRM you would need is probably dependent on what sort of stuff you're wanting to do. Like, is it just drip email campaigns? Are you going to mail them gifts? I know you've got CRMs like 
HubSpot that are growing into like, oh, we're going to give you a landing page and that can collect email addresses. Some are getting more fully featured there, really moving into being like full-blown email marketing tools. Mm-hmm. On the other end of the spectrum, a super simple version of that is, I'm just going to chuck these 20 people that I have in Airtable. I can use Zapier or Make to trigger an email to them once a quarter and also trigger gifting, stuff like that. That's more like the DIY, I want to hack it together myself in a custom way kind of approach. But it probably depends on what exactly you want your CRM to do. That's probably going to dictate which is the right CRM tool or whether you build your own cobbled together automation setup. Do you think some of these drip campaigns like Active Campaign and Mailer Send and all of these MailChimp, right? The email marketing tools, is that enough of a CRM maybe for Charlene to begin with? Could be. So the main function in my mind is really just like a database mm-hmm. because that'll cover email, but what else do realtors do? I get all sorts of like mailers from realtors uh, like, oh, this house down the street just sold for $18 million. You should sell yours too. That's <laughs> true. That being said, those email tools usually have great like automation connectors. So it would not really be that hard to go through and then like build a zap around mailing something to somebody or sending them a bag of ducks or something <laughs> like that. So there's got to be real estate systems where if something's sold and you've got people in your list that are within that zip code or something, oh, yeah. that it would send them a message if they're with some sort of step. So you're right. If it's just for emailing, maybe you don't track all this stuff inside of MailChimp or Active Campaign, and you do have a database. Maybe, again, remember the caller from the last show for the pet grooming company? They have industry tools too. So maybe there's something for realtors that's worth taking a look at as well, instead of trying to hack this together yourself. But can we just have a little fun break here and hack this together ourselves? So here's what I need is... (laughs) I need some sort of feed, an RSS feed or something like that of home sales within 200 miles of me. That's got to be a thing I could subscribe to somewhere. I'm going to take that into my API connector. I'm going to look for anybody in my CRM that maybe has the same zip code as that home that just sold. I'm going to trigger a postcard to be generated and then mailed to them as soon as that thing gets sold. Mm -hmm. Which you could use either the Google slide template. Oh gosh, Google slides. Yeah. It all comes back to Google slides. Or you could use Banner Bear or Placid to create your custom image. You probably need some sort of approval process so that it's not like a former like penitentiary that just got sold and then you send them a picture of that and say like, hey, you need this. There's probably a little bit more that needs going to. <laughs> hey, we have all sorts of people patiently waiting on the phones for us. Who else Sorry. have we got? Sorry about that, Pam. Pam, you are live on automation show, how can we help? Hi guys. Hi Pam. So I am a spreadsheet junkie. Well, incoming. It's a safe space for spreadsheet junkies. Go ahead. The first thing I do when I need to work something out is plug everything into a spreadsheet. Yep. But I feel like spreadsheets are becoming increasingly uncool. Like people look down their noses at spreadsheets now. And I guess I'm not sure if there's something I should be doing differently or why spreadsheets are taking heat now. What a great question. Yeah. Thank you, Pam. Chad, you're a pretty cool new agey automation guy, but you're also at your soft candy core, an accountant. So where do you stand on spreadsheets? And would you say your core is more candy or nougat? (laughs) It's definitely more candy. Okay. (laughs) Just promise me I get to ask you the same question and you get to think about it too. I think as an accountant, you learn Excel and 
you start people are to... dropping off the phone lines as we speak i can see the lights just turning up <laughs> <laughs> okay i am team anti-spreadsheet today oh wow because a lot of the problems that we're seeing in our company stem from too much spreadsheet work yep. when you break down a problem sometimes it's a programmatic exchange of data from one place to another and spreadsheets are typically that intermediary that messaging system, that custom thing that's just so easy to put together. So just like this was about make and how easy it is to put a can't list together and start thinking about things. I think the bigger the problem and the more you can program something, the more you can help someone. And if that actually works and the actual output is helpful, then yeah, Team anti-spreadsheet until you absolutely need a spreadsheet. How about you? Okay, let me come to the defense of the spreadsheet here. The spreadsheet is the ultimate MVP builder. 100%. So the spreadsheet is where you figure out how that thing needs to be transformed. So an automation is getting data from a thing, transforming it, putting it in another thing, or making a decision. A spreadsheet is the ultimate way to figure out how to do that transformation. The problem is people create the spreadsheet, and then they recreate the spreadsheet hundreds of times. Rather than the spreadsheet being the MVP and we say, okay, we figured out exactly how we need to transform this thing or make a decision based on inputs, now we're going to go plug that into an automation. You still need the spreadsheet. Like the spreadsheet's a prerequisite. You can hand it off to an expert that can help you with that. But yeah, the problem is people then manually prepare those spreadsheets over and over and over and over again. What about the problem of somebody who creates the spreadsheet and then is no longer there? How do you maintain those spreadsheets? I don't know that it's any better or worse than the person that creates the automation and then is no longer there. <laughs> but yeah, it's still a problem. It's very true. It's definitely a problem. Okay, uh, Stephanie, thanks for sitting through Chad's spreadsheet explainer. What? Stephanie, how can we help you? Hi, I'm five years old. Wow, thanks for calling, Stephanie. Are you another whiz kid setting up node servers in their free time, Stephanie? Um, I don't know what that means. Come on, Chad. What's your question again, Steph? I like using Zapier. Yeah, one of our favorites. But I want to learn about using Make. Okay. Where can I go to learn more about Make? Bye, guys. So the obvious answer is make support, but let's be real. Chad, where do you and I go to learn things? To the internets. I think I know your answer. Why don't you go first and I'll tell you where I secretly grab all my Integromat intel. I've got a spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I go to YouTube. Actually, make support's actually pretty darn good. I'll usually start there if that doesn't do it for me or if it's more of a conceptual thing I can't get my head around. I go run into YouTube. I don't think I've emailed make support once. I mean, like they're just their support pages for like support for routers and oh, stuff yes. like that. Yeah. Yes, they're run throughs. Oh yeah, super helpful. And sometimes they have their own YouTube videos and their embedded videos and they walk you through a scenario of real life data moving through it. So it's not just conceptual. I'd agree. Very well written, but equally frustrating if you're not techie. Yep. I think that's where I get lost sometimes. I will say on that sidebar, I have interacted with their support. It's so good. Oh, nice. Same with Zapier, actually. I feel like we're in a world where everybody's like trying to get through their support queue as fast as possible. But like Zapier and Make are like, you ask them a question and they will give you like a thousand word. Here's a great way to build what you're doing that's way better than the thing you're actually doing. And I always come away pleased. So the answer we're giving is YouTube. Except if you have a Facebook account. You five-year-old, <laughs> you. <laughs> well, I was going to say the problem is it's five-year-old. So get with your parents, find some good uh, YouTube channels where they go over make learning. Like that's what I usually do. Sometimes if that does fail, there is a special community just for make users 
in Facebook and the people there are incredibly helpful from all over the world. Oh, yeah. And there's, you know, your power users that are on every thread answering different support questions. But you have people that are there as their first time user. They just logged in and they're curious on how to do something. And then you have like the Uber smart people that are asking Uber smart questions and you learn from them. So it goes from zero to a hundred real quick in that community. So you have a little bit of everything with a lot of people helping. We didn't really think about the fact this was a five-year-old when we scripted a lot of this stuff. <laughs> but thanks for calling, Stephanie. I think we got time for one more. Jeremy, you are alive. How can we help you? Uh, hello. So uh, I picked up this end table I'm finishing. Okay. And I'm having some trouble to varnish I'm using. Jeremy, did you mean to call into Restoration Show? Yeah. Who, who am I speaking sake, with? Paul. Restoration Show is the show after ours. This happens quite a bit. But Paul usually screens it out. Paul, are we at time, Paul? Okay, well, on that note, thanks for joining us on this week's automation show. Join us for more bliss next week. Guys, guys, I'm really sorry. Paul, what's the point of having somebody screen out calls? I know. If they're I know. just going to let anyone and everyone through. It would really help if we had different numbers. I don't know why the station has us sharing the same number as those guys anyway. I'm sorry, Paul. It's been a long day. Oh, Jason. Oh, is the family okay? Uh, I actually didn't get any sleep last night. Paul, do you have a towel for me? Yeah, of course. You know, I just got you these towels with your name embroidered on them. Automation Town is hosted by Chad Davis and Jason Statz and edited by Paul Omar. Share your problems with us on Twitter at Chad Davis. Is it just Chad Davis? Yeah. And J Stats CPA. How do you spell that? So there's a J Stats S T A T S. It's a palindrome, but it has CPA at the end, so it's not a palindrome. Right. So if we're following along, J S T A A T S C P A. You did say it right. And if you're enjoying the pod, please leave Automation Town a review by submitting a note in person at the Automation Town Civic Center. Or by sending us a fax at 555-947-Dude.